Would you turn now to your, uh, in your Bibles to 1 John? We're starting a study of 1 John this morning. We'll be here for several months. Uh, this morning we're looking at 1 John verses 1 through 4. Um, as John introduces his letter and uh, gives us good reason to have confidence in our faith and assurance of eternal life. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4 through 4. What was from the beginning what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. First John 1, verses 1 through 4. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word, that it is a life-giving Word. We pray with thanksgiving, Father, for the spiritual life, eternal life, the gift of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray now for the work of your Holy Spirit. You might grant us greater understanding, that we might more truly and fully embrace the Lord Jesus, in whom there is life everlasting. We pray in His name. Amen. You ever been in an airport and um, on standby? You pace around back and forth, waiting, hoping that somehow you'll get on. I've had the unpleasant experience of doing that on numerous occasions. And more than not, I don't. And I'm just stuck wandering around. Well, the people who have tickets and they're on the plane and confirmed don't wander around. They just sit and wait because they know where they're going. They have assurance. They're certain that they're on the plane. So they're not worrying or pacing, going back and forth. Many people are uncertain about their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this uncertainty sometimes arises because of many and varied causes. Some people are uncertain about their faith because they're uninformed. They don't have the information they need to come to the conclusion about their faith and not sure about what really is true faith anyhow. They don't know what it means to really be a Christian. Not sure about how to establish a relationship with God in the first place. And then uncertain about whether or not they actually have established one with God at all. Many uncertain about what will happen to them when they die. I often ask people the question, if you were to die, and no one knows when they're going to die, and suddenly you face yourself, find yourself facing God in heaven, and He says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What will you say? And Having given your answer, are you confident that God would find your answer satisfactory? And many are uncertain about that. 
not confident about what they would say or whether or not God himself would accept their answer if they gave it. These are important questions about spiritual life uh, for any person's spiritual life. And in part, this is why the letter of 1 John uh, was written. It was written to help believers, those who have put their faith in Christ, to be confident about their faith. John wrote his gospel in order that you might believe on Christ and have eternal life. This first letter is written to those who, be, who do believe that they might know that they have eternal life or have assurance of eternal life. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, we read a purpose statement of this letter where John writes, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's possible for a person to think they have eternal life but not have it. It's also possible for a person to have it but not be assured of it or not know that they have it. It's also possible for a person to um, have eternal life and also know that they have it, be assured that they have it. Well, John writes these things so that you might have assurance, confidence, certainty about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Most likely, everything that John wrote in this letter, when he says these things, most likely refers to everything that he's written in the letter from chapter 1 through chapter 5, verse 12. So this morning we start out by looking at verses 1 through 4. Here in these verses, I think there are two things in particular that we take note of for the development of a certain faith or assurance of faith or confidence about our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. First, we can have a certain faith because there is an historical foundation for our faith that we are resting upon when we put our faith in Christ. Look at verses 1 through 3. John says, What was from the beginning what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. So here John describes his own experience and his Declaring that the Christian faith is grounded in historical events. Grounded in the facts of history. In events that actually transpired in space and time in a place where it could be observed by men. In other words, John is saying at the very foundation of our faith and giving certainty to our faith are things that actually happened in space and time 2,000 years ago in the, in the land of Israel. 
In other words, what we speak about in the Christian faith and about the life and ministry of Jesus is not the fiction of some mystic who made up some nice stories that might be used to convey some sort of moral principles of some sort or another or to make us feel good uh, about our lives. But everywhere in the Scriptures, they present themselves to us as history, an historical record of things that actually happened. This, of course, is the very point that John is making in these opening verses of this letter. It's odd to me that in this 21st century that we're living in, there's all manner of uncertainty about that. And you'll find in the church itself, many places where there is um, doubt cast over the Scriptures about the historical accuracy of them or whether or not these things actually happened. Uh, we are getting ready to celebrate the resurrection in a few weeks. Vast portions of the church don't really believe the resurrection ever happened. That it is a nice story to give people hope in the midst of an otherwise meaningless existence. But these things that are recorded by John, he says he writes concerning the life and ministry of Jesus, are the account of what he himself witnessed. It is what he heard, what he saw, what he handled concerning the word of life that he conveys to us. And John wants believers, those who have put their faith in Christ, including you and me, to know that our faith has an historical foundation. It's rooted and grounded in things that actually took place. Note the reference to the senses by which we gain knowledge. The sense of hearing, sense of sight, sense of touch. Verse 1, what we have heard. Verse 3, what we have heard, we proclaim to you also. Sense of sight, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, what uh, this was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Verse 3, what we have seen, we proclaim to you also. And then the sense of touch as well. Verse 1, what we have touched, or some versions translate the word uh, handle. What we have handled with our hands. So when John writes, he writes about what he himself witnessed. And for three years we know that John walked with the Lord Jesus all over uh, the land of Israel, from Jerusalem to Galilee and Galilee, back through Samaria and down again to Judea. And all along he heard Jesus preach and teach the Word of God. And he had long conversations with Jesus well into the night. He walked with Jesus from town to town, heard Jesus preach, heard Jesus tell the parables with his own ears. He heard these things. And when John writes, he writes about what he himself saw with his own eyes. He saw the leper's body 
that was full of leprosy suddenly restored before his very eyes. He saw the paralytic whose limbs were withered suddenly restored to health and stand up on limbs that were now healthy and strong. He saw in John 11, Lazarus come out of the tomb after three days having been dead. He saw the blind man that Jesus gave sight on the temple grounds. With his own eyes he saw these things. And he saw Jesus hanging on the cross and dying in his place. And he saw Jesus raised from the dead. All of this, he says, I saw with my own eyes. It was manifested to him out in the open. These things were not done somewhere in a cave somewhere. Or off somewhere where no one could know about it. He didn't go in the desert and have some vision and write these things. And then come back and present it as though it had happened in actual time and space. But he saw these things happen out in the open in the public. He is an eyewitness of these events. And John writes about uh, what he himself handled and touched with his own hands. Jesus was not some mythological figure, uh, some character created in the mind of a writer, the subject of some fictitious fable. But Jesus was touched by John and the other disciples as well with his own hands. Remember what John writes about Thomas, the disciple who was full of all manner of doubt. He said he would not believe unless he placed his hand in the actual wounds in the hand of Jesus or placed his hand in the very side of Jesus. In John chapter 20, verse 24 We read uh, this episode. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Verse 26 says, After eight days the disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you all. And he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him something very encouraging to us. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who do not see me and yet believe. That's me and you who hear the testimony of those who did see and did hear and did handle and did touch. It is by these senses three of our five, that you and I function in this material world. You and I move and live and work and play every day 
uh, through uh, the use of our senses, our sense of touch and smell and taste and uh, our sense of sight and hearing. We act every day on the knowledge that we gain from these senses. We trust our senses uh, to be able to function in this life, in this world. Now, of course, there are those in this postmodern era who will tell us uh, that we cannot trust what our senses tell us. Philosophical skeptics who tell us that our senses deceive us and that we are living in an era where there is no such thing as truth and in which no one can have any certainty about anything. And of course, I always want to ask, are you certain about that? And of course, our senses can, taken by themselves, sometimes lead us astray. There must be verification. There must be careful evaluation. But every day, you and I function on the basis of our senses. What we hear, what we see, what we touch. And we trust them. How many of you got here today by automobile? I assume all of you got here in a car. In some way or another. When you got into the car to leave this morning, did you say to yourself, I guess I better not drive today because I can't really trust my senses. What I see and what I hear, what I'm touching. No, you got in the car and you drove along and you depended all the way on everything you saw and you hear. Green lights, red lights, braking, accelerating, slowing down, turning, stopping, all of that you did with your senses, and you trusted them and depended upon them to guide you. You and I function in this world in which we're living because we're living in a world that God created by His sovereign and almighty hand, and this world functions according to predictable principles which He Himself has established and created. This is a physical, material world that we can see and touch and that we observe with our senses, which God gave us, that guide and direct us. And Jesus came into this world in the flesh. He took upon Himself our human nature. John 1.14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory even as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus could be seen, heard, touched, And um, you've got to note how John delabors this point. Seen, heard, beheld, looked upon, handled, manifested. This is the historical foundation of your faith. The Christian faith is not some mythological story that is... um, in somebody's mind somewhere, but with no real, tangible existence in space and time in this world. The Christian faith is a certain faith because it has historical foundation. This is not just the testimony of John. It's the testimony of all the scriptural writers, all the writers of Scripture. Listen to the way uh, the Gospel of Luke begins. 
inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Or what Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and following. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to Him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. So, we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is the foundation of a certain faith. This is the historical foundation upon which our faith is resting. Now, not only can we have a certain faith because we have a historical foundation, we have a certain faith because we have also a Christological foundation. Note verses 3 and following. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Our faith is certain. It is a certain faith because it has also a Christological foundation. That is, our faith is certain because it is founded upon and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Christ. Christos, the Messiah. Christology is the study of Christ. This is at the heart of of a certain faith, the more rooted and grounded you are in Jesus, the more certain and unshakable your faith becomes. Sometimes I ask people the question, you know, what would you say to God? Why should I let you into my heaven? And they will tell me all kinds of things. Uh, Tell me about their church. About how they haven't done anything really very bad. About how they did this good thing and that good thing. About how wonderful their pastor is. You may have a wonderful pastor, but he cannot get you into heaven. But sometimes I don't hear anything about Jesus. That's a problem. At the heart of a certain faith, at the heart of 
confident faith is the Lord Jesus Christ, His person and His work. And that's where our faith is grounded in the real historical person of Jesus and the historical acts of redemption which He performed out in the open to be observed on our behalf and for our sake. That's why Jesus came uh, and took upon Himself the fullness of our human nature, body and soul, to be our mediator and to, to, to purchase our salvation for us. John tells us later on in this epistle, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world. John states in verse 2, of chapter 1 and verse 3 that he writes concerning the word of life and the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Remember, John writes this letter so that you may know that you have eternal life. Seven times in this letter, five chapters long, uh, eternal life is uh, at the heart of, or the major theme. Eternal life is found in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a Christological foundation to eternal life. A certain faith begins with a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Notice how Jesus Himself defines eternal life. John 17, verse 3. John records this statement by Jesus. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, when we think about eternal life, we usually think about it quantitatively. The first thing that comes into our minds when we think about eternal life is living forever. We think about it duration. But here Jesus defines eternal life not in terms of duration or its um, unending quality with regard to time, but rather He speaks of eternal life qualitatively. Eternal life is knowing God. It is having a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. What makes uh, the passage of time enjoyable? It's the quality of the experience, right? That's why on vacation, time flies. But when you're pulling weeds, it just drags out, right? It's the quality of the experience. That's what makes heaven glorious and hell, which is equally eternal, miserable. It's not the duration. It's the quality of the experience. 
John tells us, as he records the teaching of Jesus, that eternal life is about knowing God. It is about fellowship, sharing a common life with God. It is about a relationship with God. And fellowship with God the Father is only possible by and through fellowship with Jesus who is the Son. So Jesus Himself tells us in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the life, and the truth. No one comes to the Father but through Me. It is by fellowship with Jesus that we have fellowship with God the Father. Thus, in the fifth chapter of 1 John, verses 11 and 12, we read, And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. It's pretty straight, plain, straightforward. So when we know Jesus and have fellowship with Him, we not only have fellowship with God the Father, but we also have then fellowship also with one another. John ties all three of them together. We have union and fellowship with God through Jesus and union and fellowship with one another as well in the body of Christ, the church. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the message that John proclaimed and this was his testimony. To this he bore witness. This is what he recounts for us in the record of the gospel the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. So that you and I can know the facts of the Gospel, the historical events upon which the Gospel is resting, so that we can have a certainty to our faith, resting on an historical foundation and resting upon a Christological foundation on the person and work of Jesus Himself, and then enjoying a relationship with God as our Heavenly Father being reconciled to Him by the death of Jesus. So that, verse 4 tells us, our lives would be full of joy. Jesus gives fellowship with God, the Father Himself, and one another, and out of this fellowship then flows a fullness of joy. These things we write, verse 4 states, so that our joy may be made complete. What could be more joyous than knowing God, your Creator, and having a certain faith of confidence, knowing that you have eternal life, that you'll spend eternity in new heavens and new earth with blessings beyond imagination. You know, the good news is that you can know that right now. Right this very day, this very moment. Eternal life begins right now, not when you die. It begins right now. In fact, Jesus in John 6, verse 47 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. Not will have, not might have, not could have, but has a present possession. This is the certainty of faith, the assurance of faith that you and I can have.
in Jesus. Founded upon the historical facts of the gospel and rooted in the life and the death of Jesus. Historical and Christological foundations. May God help us if we pray together. Lord, we thank you for the confidence that we can have in a relationship with Jesus. And we thank you that you invite us to have fellowship with you and the Father and one another. And we pray, Father, now as we come to this table to partake of this meal, that you might bless us with fellowship with you, Heavenly Father, with the Lord Jesus who offers himself to us and one another. As we share this meal, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.